Shalom and welcome to Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant, a series on practical messianic living and apologetics. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and always will be. The Torah proper instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. This is where Shomer Mitzvot begins, by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. By this, I mean accepting His means of covenant obedience. For today, this means acceptance of Yeshua, His only Son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Shalom, shalom. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. You're listening to Exegeting Galatians, a Messianic Jewish commentary. Let's open in prayer. Avinu Makin, our Father, our King. Lord, we thank you that you have uh, protected us and that you have kept us safe, that you're continuing to speak to us and that you're uh, continuing to comfort us during these, uh, well, somewhat hectic times and certainly... Um, uh, well, Lord, uh, kind of uh, frightening times, especially with the uh, the very bad weather that's been uh, hitting the United States near the Gulf of Mexico lately. First, we had the the hurricane that hit Texas area, uh, and then we had the the really bad one that hit uh, the Florida area. And Lord, we're just praying that you will continue to to guide us and to protect us and to lead us and to assure us that that you have not forsaken us, but that you are. Uh, strengthening us during this time of need. Uh, Lord, I specifically pray for uh, the families of those who are hardest hit uh, by the areas of the hurricane. I pray that you will uh, give them a sense of your presence and that you will strengthen them, uh, bring them together during this time of crisis, uh, during this time of just needs of basic things, food and water, uh, uh, drinkable water and and um, medicine and just a place to stay, uh, many without power uh, for several days, if not weeks. Um, the the uh, dire situation that's facing the elderly as they uh, are in places where they're in need of, of power to just keep them living. Lord, I, I, I pray for all of those uh, folks who are in those areas. I pray that you'll um, continue to um, give people the the sense of... of, um, of uh, of community where they come together and help one another despite uh, economic differences or racial differences or, or things like that. Lord, just help us to understand that uh, when when all is said and done, we're all humans. We're all people that you've created and people that you've made and that we're, we're so helpless when it, when it comes to uh, some of these natural disasters that just tear down everything. And Lord, whatever message that you're trying to send to us, help us to have ears to hear Help us to understand. Uh, help us to seek your face during these times. Uh, Lord, we come together now uh, once again to study the book of Galatians as believers. We pray that you'll give us a heart to understand the text and a desire to seek your face and to to know your ways so that we can be ambassadors for your kingdom, so that we can walk in your ways and talk of your name and speak of your truths and be willing to share the gospel 
to a lost and dying world. Uh, the message hasn't changed, Lord. The gospel is still the gospel, just that sometimes the, the times in which we share it uh, seem to become so uh, desperately dark and wicked that it's hard to uh, find a, an opportunity to share or, or a desire to share. And, and admittedly, it's, it's, it's easy just to um, keep our mouths shut and not say anything because we don't want to be uh, ostracized and, and, and shunned by uh, the politically correct world around us. But Lord, that's not what you taught us, and that's not how you taught us to behave. So give us a holy boldness to preach the gospel. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory for all of these things. B'shem Yeshua. Amen. All right, well, uh, once again, I'd like to welcome everyone out to another study at the Book of Galatians. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. I'm a Torah teacher out at Congregation Kehilat Nuva in Thornton, Colorado, which is far away from the the um, storm-ravaged areas of the Gulf Coast, but nevertheless, everyone in the country is is glued to their TVs and radios and, and computer screens watching what's going on, uh, praying. Uh, believers, as they should be, should be praying and, and supporting where they can. And so, uh, you know, I'm really far away from, from what's going on in the United States. I'm way over on the other side of the world in Asia right now, but that doesn't stop me from watching the news to see what's going on and, and praying for uh, those who are in the path of destruction, uh, because uh, uh, not only are believers in the path of destruction, but people in general. And so uh, my heart goes out to human life. I don't, I don't like destruction of human life in any way, shape, or capacity. So uh, obviously I, I'm, I'm going to pray, and that's about all I can do from this side of the world. So uh, let's jump into... Um, our study of Galatians, again, this is week 23 as we're moving along through the study. Just want to remind everyone that you can join us online each week live. We meet from about 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. We meet for about an hour, approximately an hour, sometimes a little longer, sometimes a little shorter. And the study is free. There's no cost to you at all. If you'd like to join, just head on out to my website at www.tetzetorah.com, T-E-T-Z-E. T-O-R-A-H dot com. And you can find all of the relevant information on the homepage there. Click on the Galatians commentary, and there are links to the written notes, which uh, the, the, the entire commentary, if you're interested in printing it out, is just a little short of 200 pages. And then if you want to follow along with the weekly teachings that are live that we broadcast via Skype each week, there should be some information on the page there as well. Uh, the study is free, and there's no... Um, there's no prerequisite to join any group to, to listen to the study. Although if you do wish to follow along with the written notes a little more um, a little more conveniently, because I send out the written notes each week, uh, I would encourage you to subscribe to the Galatians newsletter. The, the weekly uh, teaching notes that I send out each week are, are convenient to help you know where we're at. And they also contain the links to the audio recordings that I make each week. If you're not able to make it live to class, then I'm recording them, and then after a few days of editing, I upload them to my website and up to the um, iTunes uh, store, also the Apple store, the iTunes store, and you can catch the audio recording that way after the fact if you're not able to join us live. So, we'd love to have you join us uh, each week, because after each uh, live class, then... For the live students, we like to engage in a little bit of Q&A or just after chat session, after session chat. Uh, you're welcome to join. Um, we don't record them, so you won't be able to hear them and participate unless you are part of the live class. 
but you know we just uh, uh, turn uh, we turn off the, the recorders and just kind of speak freely, uh, pick each other's brains, or just uh, share with one another whatever the Lord leads there. So you're all welcome to join us there as well. Okay, without further ado, let's jump into the study. Let me date stamp it real quick for you. Today is September the 16th, 2017 for most of you. Um, and as I mentioned, we're on week 23. Just a reminder real quick, since we're moving into the fall festivals, um, if you look at your calendar, you'll notice that uh, Rosh Hashanah, or Yom Tovah, as it's called according to the Torah, the day of the awakening trumpet blast, uh, is um, next week. For most of us, that's going to be Wednesday night as as festivals start on the sundown. So if you look at your calendar, it'll probably say Thursday is Rosh Hashanah or Yom Tovah, um, uh, head of the year or day of the awakening trumpet blast, day of trumpets. I'm sorry, not day of trumpets. Uh, um, yes, day of trumpets. I'm sorry. Um, we will still be meeting our our uh, for our Galatian study next Saturday, since it's not close enough to um, Rosh Hashanah to affect anything. But uh, if you look at your calendar the week right after that, right, the week of the 20th, I believe it is, um, then we are definitely not going to meet. Did I say the 20th? Give me a moment. I'm looking at the wrong date. I don't mean the 20th. I mean the uh, the 30th. 30th. Uh, the week of the 30th, we're definitely not going to be meeting because that is Yom Kippur. And that, of course, is a high holy day. Not only is it a, a Sabbath, but this will also be a high holy Sabbath because of Yom Kippur falling on that evening, you know, uh, Friday night going into Saturday. So um, we will not be meeting on the week of the 30th. And I'll remind you again next week, okay? All right. Let's jump into our liturgy for tonight. As with last week, uh, we're going to read once more, we're going to read the... Um, Passages that have to deal with the, the holy days. In other words, we're going to read some passages uh, that are talking specifically about the Sabbath and about the, the, the festivals. And this is appropriate not only because the section that we're talking about, Paul mentions some some seasons and months and days and years. And according to most commentators, this is probably talking about Sabbath, although you'll hear when we get to it what I think they're talking about. But the other reason that uh, we're mentioning these is because of the proximity to the High Holy Days themselves. And we're, as we get closer uh, to those festivals, I'm gonna, my liturgy is going to be adjusted and we're going to talk about, uh, or the, the liturgy will reflect uh, uh, Holy Days and things like that. So it's all appropriate. So uh, let's read these passages again. I've turned in my section to Genesis chapter 2. This is the first part that talks about Sabbath. And uh, we'll just read the first uh, three verses, which... Um, uh, interestingly enough, for those who are Bible students, will take notice that there's no mention of Jews or Jewish Judaism or Israel or anything in these first few verses, which makes a nice little discussion about did God make the Sabbath for man or did he make it for the Jews, right? So, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and the version I'm using, uh, for those of you who are following along with me on the screen, the version you'll see on your screen is the 1917 Jewish Publication Society version, which reads very, very similar to a King James version. And I thought it was kind of nice because it's I can see both the English and the Hebrew on the screen at the same time. And this is available online, by the way. You can this is this is right off the web for those of you who are interested. Uh, you can find this online. Okay, the English reads verse one: "And the heaven and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, 
verse 2, And on the seventh day God finished his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. Verse 3, And God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because that in it he rested from all his work which God in creating had made. And we'll go back and read the Hebrew also. The Hebrew verse 1 reads, Vayhulu hashamayim v'ha'aretz v'chol zva'am. Verse 2, Vayhol Elohim bayom hashvi'i melakto asher asa vayish bot bayom hashvi'i mekol melakto asher asa. And verse 3, Vayivayach Elohim et yom hashvi'i vayikadesh oto. And now let's jump to another passage. Let's turn in the same Bible to Exodus. We read this again last week also. Exodus chapter 31, which is a very familiar passage when we're talking about Sabbath. <clears throat> Particularly, this has been um, preserved for us in the lit uh, our siddurs, our liturgical books that we use in Judaism. And when we jump all the way down to verses uh, 16 and 17, where it talks about the Sabbath, it's right in the middle of this discussion about God reminding us to keep the Sabbath day and uh, that anyone who uh, fails to keep it consistently uh, will be put to death. So it becomes a capital offense to consistently violate the Sabbath. Not to violate it once, but to consistently uh, violate it repeatedly. And that's just known from context. Um, God wouldn't kill someone just for violating it once, obviously. He's a God of mercy. But if we jump down to verse 16 and 17, he just reminds us of, of the necessity to keep this and to honor the Lord in keeping it because of its um, reminder, reminder of um, the creation account that we just read in Genesis chapter 2. So let's read those two verses, 16 and 17, just those two. Again, the English, verse 16, reads... Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. And verse 17, It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from work and rested. And again, we'll read the Hebrew. Uh, and this has been preserved in, in Judaism as a song as well. Um, if you're ever in a traditional synagogue or even a messianic one that has some liturgical service to it, some liturgical Hebrew parts to it, sometimes you'll hear these two passages uh, put to music, uh, called the Vishamru, named after the first word. And the Hebrew reads, Vishamru v'nei Yisrael at the Shabbat la'asot at the Shabbat l'odorotam brit olam. Verse 17, Be'ni uvein b'nei Yisrael othi le'olam, ki shetet yamim asa Adonai et shemaim ve'et aratzu v'yom hashvi Shabbat v'ayinafash. All right, now let's jump to a passage in the Bible that we're using in the book of Leviticus. We're just taking the first three books. And this time we're going to jump over to chapter 23, where, we, where the entire chapter is devoted to the festivals. And we're going to look at the first, oh, I think we read the, last, the first four verses last time. And I read, I selected these because, again, this is directly going to affect how we uh, read and talk about this section in Galatians chapter 4 where we're at tonight. But it's just a good chapter to park out on anyway, given the um, festivals that are right around the corner, right? The fall holy days, the fall feasts. So we've got Leviticus chapter 23, and um, the first four verses I'm going to read. Um, the English reads, again, uh, JPS version, verse 1, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, verse 2, 
speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, The appointed seasons of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my appointed seasons. Verse 3. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no manner of work. It is a Sabbath unto the Lord in all your dwellings. And then verse 4. These are the appointed seasons of the Lord, even holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in their appointed season. The Hebrew of those same verses reads, verse 1, Vaidever al Moshe lemor. Verse 2, Daber el bnei Yisrael va'amarta alehim, moade Adonai asher tikru'u otam mikra'e kodesh alehim moadai. Verse 3, Sheshet yamim te'aseh melacha uvyom hashvi'i shabbat shabbaton mikra kodesh ko melacha lo ta'asu. Shabbat hi la Adonai b'chol moshvotechem. And verse four, ele mode Adonai mikra e kodesh asher tikreu otam b'moadam. And I think it's really important, as I've mentioned earlier in past, that these verses are speaking not only that the festivals are something that Israel should proclaim in their appointed seasons, right? The the final phrase of verse four, which you shall proclaim in their appointed seasons, but the important part is that these are the appointed seasons of the Lord. These are the Lord's holy days. The appointed seasons of God are appointments that Israel is to proclaim, but more importantly, they are of origin gods. They belong to God. And this is important when we discuss, when we Messianics want to have our discussions with our um, your average uh, Christian who is not familiar with uh, the concept of keeping a Hebraic lifestyle, allowing the, Lord, the Torah to um, uh, dictate uh, which holy days they, they keep and which ones they don't. And um, it's often been thought that these are the fest feasts of the Jews, these are the festivals of the Jews, and that therefore, since they're Jewish feasts, that they don't really pertain to Christians, or they don't belong to Christians, or they don't um, relate to Gentile Christians, or something to that effect. But that's not what the Torah teaches here. This is just a little mini-sermon in and of itself. These are the Lord's feasts, and I think it's important that if you want to name the name of the Lord and identify with the God of Israel and the Lord himself, well then, it's important to recall, uh, remind yourself that these festivals belong to him, and that as you walk into them and uh, take them on as your lifestyle, that you are reminded that these are his feasts, and that you are to proclaim them in their in their appointed season. And so, Lord, we declare that these are your festivals, these are your feasts, or these don't belong to the Jews. If anything, you've loaned them out to us so that we can showcase them to the rest of the world, but they are yours, they belong to you, and they speak of you, and they remind us of you. And so we will we'll do well to remind ourselves that as we walk in them and as we celebrate them year after year and week after week and month after month, season after season, that they are your festivals and that they remind us of your finished work, Yeshua, and that they will ever remind us of what you've done for us and that all that you're continuing to do for us in and amongst us through our uh, our personal lives and in our communities. Amen. Amen. All right, with that, let's turn to the passage out of Galatians. Uh, we're going to be reading chapter 4. And since we're in this section, uh, the first kind of um, dialogue that Paul is having with 
these uh, Galatian readers. We're going to read, once again, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. That's the, 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 the big section that we're focused on. But we're also going to make a teaser for next week and jump down and pull in verse 21 as well uh, into our study tonight. So um, we're going to read by way of liturgy 1 through 11, and then I'll jump down to verse uh, 21. But as far as studying is concerned, we're only going to hit verse 10, verse 11, and verse 21. Okay, so let's read this out of the ESV again. If you're looking at my screen, I've got the Bible, the Blue Letter Bible webpage pulled up. And verse 1, chapter 4, ESV reads, I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Verse 2, but he's under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. Verse 3, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God, um, verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law. Verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Verse 6, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Verse 7, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Verse 9. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to become once more? Uh, whose slaves you want to be once more? Verse 10, you observe days and months and seasons and years. Hey, hey, look at it. Look at it. There they are. There's those Sabbaths and festivals and new moons and sabbatical years and things like that, right? Well, maybe, maybe not. We'll go back and look at it in here a second. That was verse 10. That's uh, our tie-in to our liturgy from earlier. Uh, and then verse 11, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. And then let's jump down real quick just as a teaser. Uh, we're going to skip over verses 12 through 20 where Paul does this kind of personal uh, uh, impassioned plea uh, to receive him as they re to receive him uh, to to uh, to well he does this little um, personal impassioned plea about um, uh, becoming true to who they truly are uh, you know uh, hanging on for the sake of the gospels uh, reminding them how that they received him even though he had a bodily ailment things like that. And then he jumps down in verse 21 because he's going to turn again to this his discussion about the, the current situation facing the Gentiles. And he's going to start using scripture again, particularly a, um, a midrash on Abraham's two sons. But the teaser for us tonight is just 21 where he says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? And then I'm not going to get into verse 22 and the rest tonight. We'll leave that to next week. But I just wanted to give you a teaser for next week, okay? All right, so let's go back and read the um, the Greek of that. Let's just change this over to the morphological Greek New Testament, which is close enough to the SBLGNT that um, it'll accomplish the same purpose for me. All right, so for those of you on the screen, you can see I've got the Greek pulled up and it's broken down into the same verses. Let's read that same section for you. All right, starting in verse 1 again, uh, the Greek reads, Lego, and by the way, we're starting right over here. Greek reads uh, left to right, just like English does. So, All right, so it reads, Lego de F. Hasen kanon ho kleronamos nepias esten, 
Uden diaferi dulu curias panton on, verse 2, Ala hupa epitrapus estin kai oikonamas achri, tes prothesmias tu patras, verse 3, hutos kai hemes, hate, amen, nepioi hupatastoi kia tu kasmu, hemetha deduluminoi. And verse 4, hate de Eilthen, to pleroma, tu kranu exapestelen hotheas, ton huion, autu genomenon ek gunaikas genomenon, hupa naman. Verse 5. Hina tus hupa naman exagorese, hina ten huiothesian apalabomen. Verse 6. Hati de este huioi exapestelen, Ho theas to pnumotu huiu, autu estas cardies hemon, krazan aba ho pater. Verse 7. Hoste uketi e dulas ala huias, e de huias, kai clerenamas dietheu. Verse 8. Ala tate men uk edates theon, edulus edul. Ed du lusate tois fuse me usin theois. Verse 9. Nun de genantes theon malan de gena, uh, genusthentes hupa theu post epistrephete palen epita asthene kai potokas doikea hois palen anothen duluen uh, thelete. Verse 10, uh, Hemeras paratereste, kai hemas kai kairus kai eniautus. And verse 11, Fabumai humas me pos eke kekapiaka es uh, humas. And then we'll jump down to verse... Verse twenty-one is the final verse, which is going to be the, the, the verse we're not gonna, we're, we're not going to get... We're gonna not gonna develop the entire context tonight, but just as a kind of a um um a wet your appetite for next week. Uh, verse twenty one says, "Legeti moi hoi hupanaman delantes inai tan haman uk aquete." And I think what I'll do is change that back over to the ESV in case I need to reference it later on in the teaching. Okay, and if I want to jump into Greek, I can just click on a verse here, and it'll. Show me just the Greek for that particular verse. How's that? All right. Uh, and there's one of the verses that I do want to highlight. Since we're going to start in verse 10 tonight, let's just look at my commentary and see that Paul's going to talk about you observing days, months, and seasons, and years. And in order to understand the context of verse 10, I just want to remind you that in verse 8 and 9, he says to the Gentile Christians here in Galatia, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. We talked about how last week that this idea of those who by nature are not gods are actually the demon principalities that all of pagan religions owe their allegiance to. Indeed, outside of the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit within the heart of a person, a person is actually under the control of the God of this world. His eyes are blinded by the God of this world. And that blindness can take many forms. We already know this. Many people may not be aware of the blindness that they grope about in. 
To be sure, most people don't, right? Blinded people are doubly blind to their to their uh, plight, whereas sighted people, those who are saved, are uh, doubly sighted as to their plight, meaning their their situation. Blind people can't see their own path, and they cannot see the path of someone around them. Sighted people, by comparison, can not only see the path in front of them, they can also see the path of the blind person so that they can help them try to avoid the blindness that they're walking in. So Paul is speaking from the advantage point of being a sighted person, from being a saved person. And he's trying to remind the Gentiles that before they became saved, before they came to the knowledge of Yeshua, they walked about in blindness as well. They were actually... um, they were actually in slavery to the demons. Um, they were under the slavery of the superstitions of their day, the Stoikan that we talked about uh, weeks, uh, to, uh, the, uh, the past few weeks. The Stoikan is this term used in Greek to describe the four elements that the uh, the Greco-Romans had uh, superstitiously um, kind of orchestrated their entire life around. Uh, the universe was held together by the four elements, the, the, the earth, the wind, the fire, and the water. And uh, the superstitious beliefs of their day were such that um, these controlled the destinies and the fates of all mankind. And this superstition, as I mentioned earlier, also found its way into not only, obviously it found its way into the pagan religions of Paul's day, right? Uh, the, the 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 imperial cult and the Saturnalia and all the, the, the um, what we t- would in Christianity called the pagan religions of Paul's day, you know, the, the early Gnosticisms that were uh, beginning to form in the first century and would, would be come to a head in the, in the first and second centuries and third centuries and things like that. But also just that the, um, the imperial cult itself with all of its emperor worship was firmly rooted in the superstitious idea of the four elements. And all of this was part of the slavery that, your average Greco-Roman citizen was steeped in because that was part of his culture. Indeed, the Judaisms of Paul's day had prided themselves on not uh, being uh, influenced by all of the Stoichaeon. And yet, Paul reveals that unless you're regenerated by the, the, the person of the Holy Spirit, then you are actually still under the influence of the false gods of this world, whether you embraced Judaism or not. And so formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. In other words, you were enslaved to demons. And this would include the Jewish people who had not yet come to a saving faith in Yeshua. They too, as Philo attests, if we were to go back and look at, up his resource, Philo attests too that the, even the high priests were um, uh, probably influenced by the superstitious idea of the Stoichion, um, which is a shame that the high priests of Israel were um, also going along with this idea of the, the four elements of the earth controlling the destinies and the fates of people. We also know that the, the superstitious branch of Judaism known as the Kabbalah, which is very popular today, is also extremely, um, uh, what should we say, preoccupied with, this notion, with the notions of, um, of the fates and the destinies and the... Um, the uh, uh, this this idea these ideas of um oh how do we say it the, the uh, uh the inner um oh the, the, this this kind of this power of of man from within uh which is kind of tied to the to the elemental elemental sense of 
Uh, you've got this power within you, that this, this kind of spirit force within you that can rise up and help you ascend to a, a kind of a lofty plane. It's, it's really kind of a Jewish mysticism. Uh, Jewish Gnosticism uh, is what uh, Kabbalah is, but it's it's got its roots in this in the Stoican as well, and so it's 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 really some nasty stuff that I don't recommend any Jew, whether Messianic or non-Messianic, to get involved in. But sadly enough, it's it permeates a lot of Judaism today, to include some Orthodox Jews as well. So that's a different discussion for a different day. Paul wants the Gentile uh, Christians to understand that they are no longer part of that lifestyle. They have been set free from the paganism of Rome, and they have been brought into a true and living relationship with the true and living God. And this is because they have professed faith in Yeshua and have accepted and received the Spirit of God into their hearts, and they have begun to turn away from that former lifestyle. So they're no longer slaves, they're, they're, but now they're now sons. So formerly when they did not know God, they were enslaved to those that were nature were not gods. Well, what kind of lifestyle were they leading then? They weren't following after Judaism, right? Their former lifestyle was a lifestyle of paganism, a lifestyle of Gnosticism or, or proto-Gnosticism, since it wasn't really kind of formally uh, uh, established yet by, by this time. It's still going to come up later on. But the seeds of Gnosticism are there. And so um, Paul's telling them, well, this is a lifestyle that you came away from. And so now you're coming into a, a, a true knowledge of God. Now, what would that look like? Does it look like Jewishness? Does it look like Judaism? Well, in some ways it should, but perhaps maybe earlier on it did not necessarily have to look that way. But look at verse 9. But now that you've come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless stoikion, right, the elementary principles, whose slaves you want to become once more? Here, then, is our secret understanding verse 10, which is I'm leading up to. Paul is anchoring verse 10 within the context of verses 8 and 9. He's describing a former lifestyle that they used to be, that they used to participate in and a lifestyle that they wish to turn back to. So ask yourself this question. Did they used to follow Judaism? Did they used to, um, when they were pagans, when they were Roman citizens, when they were, uh, Greco-Roman, uh, social, uh, functioning people, did they, were they, were they, within the synagogues and things like that. Well, it's quite probable that they weren't. And so let's jump into my commentary and see how Paul uh, works out verse 10. <clears throat> Starting in verse 10, where, which if you've got my written notes, we're near the bottom of page 141, moving into page 142. Verse 10 reads, You observe days and months and seasons and years. Now, let's read my comments and see how straightforward this can be. Continuing with our comparison between standard Christian views... In Messianic Jewish views of this passage, we again find that many, many commentators, many Christian commentators, see in this verse Paul warning his readers away from Sabbaths, which is the special days, Rosh Chodesh, the, which would be the months, and perhaps the Shemitah, which would be the seasons and years. Right? Luther's commentary to Galatians is representative of the prevailing Christian view, which let me read for you here. Uh, it reads, quote, The Apostle Paul knew what the false apostles were teaching the Galatians, which is this. The observance of days and months and times and years, right? Uh, Luther goes on to say that the Jews, had been oblig um, the Jews had been obliged to keep the holy Sabbath day, the new moons, the festival, the feast of the Passover, the feast of tabernacles, and other feasts. 
the false apostles, which these are the people that most Christians today would call the Judaizers, but I avoid that term. I call them the influencers. But the false apostles constrained the Galatians to observe these Jewish feasts under threat of damnation. Paul hastens to tell the Galatians that they were exchanging their Christian liberty for the weak and beggarly elements of the world, end quote. And that quote was lifted, you see my footnote number 41, that points to Martin Luther Galatians 4, and the, uh, the Galatians commentary is actually available on the Blue Letter Bible, uh, org website itself. So basically, what we have is, from the traditional Christian perspective, we have Paul warning the Galatian Christians from turning to what what most Christians would describe as the weak and beggarly elements, the stoikion, and their identification of the stoikion here is actually the Torah, the festivals, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the, the seasons that we just read about in our liturgy of Leviticus chapter 23. These are, according to most Christian commentators, the weak and beggarly elements that Paul's warning the Gentile Christians away from. These are the things that Paul doesn't want them to return to because these represent slavery and bondage, and uh, the Judaizers are trying to force the Gentiles to undergo this return to uh, a lifestyle that's modeled after the Mosaic legislation, which, of course, according to most Christian commentators, represents bondage and slavery, right? So let's read my commentary and see what we have to say about that. Most of you know by now I'm going to starkly, sharply, disagree with the traditional Christian position there because I'm a pro-Torah believer in Messiah, and I believe that uh, the Torah-based lifestyle is the lifestyle that is uh, relevant for not only Jewish believers in Messiah, but it's relevant for Gentile believers in Messiah as well. So let me read what I have to say in my commentary and just kind of hit the nail on the head for you. Here's what I have to say. Given that the influencers were certainly pushing for circumcision and Torah observance, right? We've taught that all along. I do believe that that's the case. Then, given that background, the standard Christian interpretation sounds quite, certainly sounds quite plausible, right? They are pushing for circumcision. So it would make sense that they would be pushing for the Sabbaths, uh, uh, the, the, the observed days and months and seasons and years. It would seem to be that that's what Paul is referring to. And in fact, it seems like an airtight argument until we look at some other things. However, as already noted in verse 9 above, which is the context that I just gave to you, the more convincing context of these, quote, days, months, seasons, and years, end quote, points to Roman pagan calendar observances. That's right. Rome, pagan Rome had their own days, months, seasons, and years. The familiarity of which, uh, the familiarity to these Gentiles, Christians, the familiarity of which probably provided the impetus to turn back again to the weak and worthless elements elementary principles of the world, end quote. So you understand what I'm saying there? The Gentile Christians came from a lifestyle of Roman paganism. They didn't come from a lifestyle of Judaism. The Jewish believers came from a lifestyle of Judaism. If anything, the argument of not returning to days and months and seasons and years would seem to make sense if we were speaking to a Jewish a primary, a primarily Jewish audience. But then, if that were the case, Paul wouldn't have to be warning them against uh, taking on circumcision, would he? Because they, as Jewish males would have been circumcised at eight days old. So the argument of not taking on circumcision would be a wasted argument from Paul's perspective. No, as we can understand, 
a, cent- a central theme of Paul's letter here in the book of Galatians. A central theme of his letter is warning the Gentile audience of, of away from uh, succumbing to the proselyte conversion ceremony that was prevalent in Paul's day, which uh, the language that Paul used was circumcision because it, it described the uh, one of the primary covenantal features that Judaism had uh, recognized of their day. The feature of circumcision for the males was a primary part of belonging to the people group known as Israel. And thus, circumcision became one of the primary identifying marks of the social group known as Israel. And these Gentiles were wishing to belong to this social group known as Israel, which was a Jewish-only group. They didn't realize that until they probably got really uh, close to joining that, hey, if you want to be part of us, if you want to be a Jew... If you want to be part of Israel, you have to become a Jew. And to become a Jew, if you're a male, then you have to become circumcised. So to explain to the Gentiles that they should not go down this road of conversion, which would include circumcision, uh, it wouldn't make sense to tell them to not return to, to, to make sure they don't return to festivals such as the Sabbath. Because as Gentiles, they weren't keeping them to begin with. You guys understand my logic there? So I think... When Paul says, you wish to turn back again, the, the um, turn back again uh, refers to a, a, a lifestyle that they formerly had an association with, verses 8 and 9. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Well, what, what status were, did they have when they formerly did not know God? They were pagans, to be sure, but they were Gentiles as well. Recall that they are they're considering changing their ethnic status from Gentile to Jew. So that in their minds, the Gentile Christians, if they were to go through with the entire process, then uh, once they reach the conclusion of that process, they would have become Jews by every respect. They would have become practical Jews or legally standing Jews. So they would be no longer considered Gentile pagans. They would be considered righteous Jews, according to the message of the influencers. But Paul's trying to explain to them that formerly when they did not know God, which means the state they were at when they were pagans, they um, they used to be enslaved to these weak and worthless elementary principles whose slaves they want to become once more. It's not that they're seeking to return to a lifestyle of Judaism. Rather, they're seeking to return to a lifestyle of paganism. And we're going to talk about that, okay? So, in my commentary, what I say now is, Paul recognizes that they want to turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles. Well, this is very strange. If they seek, if they're seeking to become Jewish proselytes, how is it that they also seek to return to Gentile paganism? They seem to be contradictory, don't they? Well, let's explain it. Moreover, knowing that Paul, I say this in my commentary, knowing that Paul personally confessed that he was a Torah observant Jew. His whole life renders the Christian interpretation of these observances untenable. And the reason I say that is because um, if you look at my footnote number 142, we look at, say, Acts 21-24, Acts 24-14-16, Acts 25-8, and Acts 26-4-5. and 5, We see there that Paul confesses that he himself has led a lifestyle that was in accordance with what his fellow uh, Jewish countrymen 
currently believe, which is a monotheistic lifestyle, that that also he has not done anything, and he says these in his in those passages in Acts, he's not done anything that is has been against uh, either the law or the traditions of his people. And how could he say that if he has forsaken Sabbath, if he has turned his back on the festivals, if he has um, come full circle and converted from Judaism to Christianity? If that's the case, then his confession in the book of Acts is a false confession. He's lying. He's being deceptive in saying that he's not done anything against the traditions of the fathers and things like, like that. He can't be telling the truth there and also be telling the truth that he has... Um, that he he's turning away from the fa- festivals and things like that. So his own lifestyle is a confession to us all, to both Jews and Gentiles and Messiah today. His lifestyle is a confession that he continued to keep a Torah-observant lifestyle. He modeled a Torah-observant lifestyle for a Messianic Jew. So I think we can take that as a fact and take his words in the book of Acts to be honest and true, a true confession, that he's continuing to leave a Torah-observant lifestyle. If that's the case, then why would he warn the Gentile Christians away from a Torah-observant lifestyle when he himself kept a Torah-observant lifestyle as a Jewish believer in Messiah? Do you understand how I see that that would render the Christian interpretation of these passages uh, untenable, unworkable, unlikely? So, I say in my commentary, why would Paul keep Torah his whole life, even after coming to faith in Yeshua as Messiah, and then warn others against wanting to keep Torah also, right? The logic is faulty. The logic is faulty. But, there's something else here that's a little more relevant to the context, uh, not rather than just jumping over to the book of Acts and finding out how did Paul live. We can also just keep our uh, um, context right here in the book of Galatians and see something else. Let's keep moving, and we'll see this here in the next uh, verse here. Verse 11, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Now, Paul's going to start turning to this kind of impassioned plea where he personally begins to once again try to shock uh, the uh, Galatians back into some sense of reality. He's not going to really use shocking language this time. Rather, he's going to be using heartfelt language. And um, we didn't read verse 12 through verse 20, but if you were to go back and read it on your own, you'll see what I'm about to describe in summary form, okay? Comment to verse 11 as we move into this section. If the Galatian Gentile Christians succumbed to the message of the influencers and decided to undergo the ritual of circumcision, right, proselyte conversion, for the sake of the supposed covenant status that it promised, then indeed Paul would have wasted his efforts. For in truth, one can only swear his allegiance to either Yeshua or he must serve another Lord. Man cannot serve two masters. Yeshua himself stated that we are either for him or against him in Matthew twelve twenty. And Paul himself is going to rep he's Paul himself is going to present these two choices about serving Yeshua or serving another Lord. He's going to present these two choices to his readers in five two with quote Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, that's one door. Christ will be of no value to you at all. That's the other door. 
So when we get to that part of the letter, we're going to see that Paul is going to show them that the Galatian Gentiles are at a crossroads. It's not so much like the Gentile, it's not so much like the, I think the Christian commentaries of today are teaching how that the uh, Judaizers, the influencers, were presenting Jesus plus Torah observance, right? You can have Jesus, but you also have to have Torah observance if you want to be saved. In other words, if you really want to be counted as righteous, right, dikaio, um, then you also, dikaios, uh, rather, the, the, the noun, or if you want to be saved, if you want to be righteous, dikaiosune, uh, have this declaration pronounced upon you, like we read about way back in chapter 3. It's not like, as the Christians are saying today, that if, that the, the influencers are teaching their Gentile uh, prospects that if you want to be saved, it's okay for you uh, to believe in Jesus, but you also have to add to your belief in Jesus keeping the Torah. In other words, it's salvation by Jesus plus works. Uh, that's what you meet, read in most commentaries today, is that that's what the message of the influencers was. But I don't think that's really what Paul's uh, combating. I don't think the influencers were were accepting Jesus plus Torah observance to be saved. I think really the influencers were just kind of ignoring Jesus. Um, they weren't really making Yeshua the central issue when it comes to covenant membership, which was the, the buzz term that they were using for salvation. Rather, their, the all-important point for the influencers was their social status as Gentiles and their ethnic status as Jews. And the, the importance of changing your social status, your ethnic status from one of Gentile to one of Jewish. And that became the central issue. And whether you believe in Jesus or not was kind of peripheral. But from Paul's perspective, he saw it as um, two different doorways to choose. Jesus on one side and Jew, uh, Jewish ethnicity on the other. So it wasn't like Paul was was seeing Jesus plus the Torah on one, as one door and Jesus minus the Torah as the other door. You understand what I'm saying there? That's basically the traditional Christian view that I hear when I read the plethora of commentaries that you can pick up in Bible bookstores or read online or when you have a dialogue with your average Christian pastor, they're going to tell you that the book of Galatians is Paul warning the Gentile Christians away from trying to add Torah observance to their otherwise perfect salvation in uh, through grace alone, by, by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. Uh, they're trying to add um, works to their existing salvation. And uh, that means that the two doors that, that are being presented before the Gentiles are, on the one hand, we've got Jesus plus nothing, and on the other hand, we've got Jesus plus the Torah. Those are the two doors that Christians describe. I think it's rather, on the one hand, Jewish ethnicity, that's one door, and the other door is uh, Jesus plus no Jesus plus nothing else on the other side. So it's not Jesus plus Torah on the other side. It's Jesus plus nothing, and then the other and the the the, the opposing door is ethnicity. So, um, so mark my words, Paul. I Paul tell you that if you let yourself become circumcised, Christ will leave no value to you. Well, why would that worry Paul that the Gentiles were seeking to forsake? Uh, Christ to become circumcised well chiefly because if you owe your if you if you point the object of your faith towards anything other than Messiah well then obviously you're going to forfeit genuine salvation that's that's understood that's the given right anything other than the object of Christ is going to bankrupt your salvation and that includes your ethnicity that includes any form of legalism that includes any form of works righteousness 
That includes any uh, pseudo-gospel, any false gospel, any um, false religion, any pagan religion, any um, secular humanism. It doesn't matter. We all know, we as believers, all know the words of Yeshua well. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. So we know that there is an exclusive door to God, and that exclusive door is through the person and finished work of Yeshua the Messiah, by the power of the Spirit, circumcising the heart and writing the Torah, the law of God, on the heart. That is the only path to God. There is, what does Peter say in the book of Acts? There is, uh, we, we confess that there is salvation in no other name given among men, whereby we must be saved. It is in Yeshua alone. We affirm that. It is solo gratias, by, by grace alone. It is, it is, it is, only by the grace of Messiah that we can be saved. So Paul is is going to warn the Gentile Christians that this idea of genuine covenant membership, which was the verbiage that they used in the first century for salvation, because in their day only the Jews were can look forward to eschatological salvation in the end day, right? Salvation from God, salvation from their enemies, salvation from destruction, salvation from their sins, salvation from themselves. Only the Jewish people had this promise of salvation spelled out in the Torah according to the minds of the Jewish people and according to their self-understanding of their nationalistic view of, of, of their scriptures and of their uh, social group known as Israel. They alone were the sole uh, possessors of salvation and such Gentiles who were seeking to enjoin this salvation that was given to Israel must undergo a change in ethnic status from Gentile to Jew. And so Paul's going to be, he's going to have to warn them. He's afraid that his labor of them is in vain. But why else would he worry? Not just that the Gentiles were seeking to to undergo the proselyte conversion ceremony, but there was some other pressure in the first century that had Paul a little bit worried. And let's talk about that right now. That's This is going to kind of finish out our commentary tonight, uh, before we turn to that little uh, section in, in verse 21 where we tease us, where we tease ourselves about next week. Paul says that I'm afraid that you, I may have labored over you in vain. It is not, I say in my commentary, it's not as if by converting to legally recognized Jewish status that somehow they would lose their salvation. That's, I don't think that's really the case unless they weren't saved to begin with. So I say in my commentary, if they converted to legally recognized Jewish status, uh, they would lose their salvation if indeed they were genuine. If they were indeed, if they weren't in, indeed genuinely saved in the first place. Let me read it in my commentary again. It says, "It is not as if by converting to legally recognized Jewish status that somehow they would lose their salvation, if indeed they were genuinely saved in the first place." So I understand Paul to be saying that um, Paul to be teaching that. Uh, salvation is genuine. It's lasting if it's genuine. And it's genuine if it's genuine, then it's lasting. In other words, the the whole idea of once saved, always saved is only true in Paul's mind if you're genuinely saved. If you're genuinely saved, then you will, will in fact, uh, retain your genuine salvation. I don't believe that God will forsake you, and I don't believe that Yeshua will let you go. But if you're not saved, remember I described last week that in any congregation, in, in any religious community that calls themselves Christian, you're always going to have at least three kinds of people. You're going to have really two kinds of people, uh, those who are saved and those who are not. But of those who are not saved, you'll have people who think they're saved and then people who are definitely 
sure that they're not saved. In other words, they're they're basically opposed to the gospel and they and they call themselves unsaved. You know, they they wouldn't profess faith in Yeshua. They would essentially they're not really enemies of the gospel. They would just say, "No, I'm not saved. I'm I don't believe in Jesus." But uh, nevertheless, they attend church services or they attend religious meetings and things like that. Um, they they attend I don't know for any number of reasons they attend because of their friends or family or boyfriend or girlfriend or just because it's a, it's just something that they're bored with uh, you know they got nothing better to do on a Sunday and they they popped into church for the social interaction whatnot um, so there's any number of reasons why people show up at church but that doesn't make them save but they don't call themselves safe if you ask them are you saved sometimes they'll say I'm not sure. Or if you say, are you saved? They'll say, no, not not really. But, you know, um, I think I'm a good person. And so, uh, I, you know, I don't really believe in Jesus, but I believe I believe in God. I believe I'm a good person. Um, so things like that. Or some people just say that I don't believe in God at all. I, I, but nevertheless, you have people who are saved and people who are not saved. But then you have people who think they're saved, but they're not really saved. And then people who know that they're not saved and don't claim to be saved. So you have kind of people in what we call decision mode or people who are... Uh, hoping that they're saved, but they're not really saved. God knows they're not saved, but they think they're saved. People who are deceiving themselves. These are the kind of people that Paul might really be worried that he's laboring over in vain. People that are not really filled with the Spirit of God. People who have not yet uh, had their hearts changed from the inside. These are the people who can be easily persuaded to uh, jump ship, as I describe it. People who can forsake Yeshua. The people that would be um, tempted to leave uh, a church if if the going gets tough, people who would be um, easily persuaded to not call themselves Christians in the face of persecution. And these are the people I think that Paul would be afraid of that he labored over in vain. Let's keep reading my commentary and find out what might be driving some of Paul's worry. So we've got people in the first century who are Gentiles who are seeking to escape persecution from Rome by joining the Jewish culture by by taking on legal Jewish status and being counted among the social group known as Judaism. However, the situation here in Galatians, I think, is much more precarious than simply adding Judaism to Jesus the way the Christians are describing. For indeed, as we shall see when we get to chapter 5, the Galatian Gentiles were, were considering ethnic status as a way to somehow be considered righteous instead of taking on the righteousness that is only supplied by Messiah. So the issue at stake is not genuine salvation plus Jewish status like the Christians describe, but rather genuine salvation versus Jewish status. I think that's what's going on primarily in the book of Galatians, uh, and that's primarily what Paul's going to be worried about. Now, um, there's something else that... Uh, we talked about, let me turn up to go up to my commentary, that we talked about last week in um, verse 9 that kind of propelled us into verse 10 that I'm hinting at, but I haven't really described in, in great detail. And that is that we have to keep in mind that from a first century perspective, if we go back and look at the um, social setting that was facing the, the Gentile Galatians in Paul's day, there were two social groups that were primarily vying for the attention of any given person in Paul's day. We had Greco-Roman citizens that were primarily leading from what they from from what they could tell was an otherwise well-meaning pagan lifestyle, right? They had their their Roman paganism, their Greco-Roman uh culture that 
as far as they can tell, was harmless. It wasn't hurting Judaism, and it wasn't hurting anyone else. Uh, this was just the lifestyle that they were leading. This was just the the kind of the de facto um, uh, secular lifestyle uh, that included uh, pagan emperor worship. It included all the pagan uh, um, festivals, uh, but it also included the participation in the, the what I call the Saturnalia, the the, the Roman uh, festivals, and the uh, the devotion to the emperor as a god. And but otherwise, it was basically the 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 default lifestyle for a Greco-Roman citizen. This was just your sta- standard, average garden variety Greco-Roman citizen who you know paid taxes and and supported his family and you know held a a, a job and 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 you know was interested in in social life and you know tried to do do his neighbor no harm and things like that you know was kind to strangers and otherwise it it's kind of like describes your average um person today except in ancient rome it had probably slightly more more religious overtones to it because of the emperor worship that was involved uh, versus the, the the what we might call today's secular humanism that kind of seeks to steer clear of anything religious. But in Paul's day, um, the imperial cult of Rome was was basically the, def- the the default standard way of living, unless unless you were part of this minority group known as Jews. This minority group had kind of an exemption an exemption from Rome. They did not have to worship the emperor as a god because of their fierce monotheism. So they enjoyed an exemption that uh, prevented them from having to attend the um, state-held pagan uh, festivals, the pageantry and all of the, uh, the, what I call the Saturnalia. They didn't have to participate in the um, emperor worship and all of that, but they were taxed heavily for it. The, the Fiscus Judaicus is something you can look up uh, online. It was, a, it was a tax that Rome levied against uh, the Jewish citizens against the people of Israel for their exemption from emperor worship. So instead of worshiping the emperor, instead the emperor said, we want you to pray for us and we want you to pay us taxes, heavy taxes. And the Jewish people didn't really want to pay the tax, but they didn't want to worship the emperor either. So they chose to worship the tax. So enter the Galatian Christians who, from Paul's perspective, and I, I talked about this briefly last week, and I just want to talk about it briefly this week real quick. From Paul's perspective, the Gentile Christians were required to embrace the monotheistic belief in the one God of Israel, like the Jews did, right? They had to turn from their Roman paganism. They had to forsake all of the the um, Saturnalia and all of the the, the pantheon of of multiple gods that the Romans believe in all the household gods, um, the multiplicity of gods that 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 Romans that the the Romish culture had uh, uh, ingrained in them as as Greco Romans. They had to forsake all of that, and at the same time, Paul didn't want them to turn to become legally recognized Jews and place their allegiance in that camp because of the dangers of the anti-Gentile halacha that the Judaisms of Paul's days were were uh, beginning to take on more and more. The idea that Gentiles were not welcome within the Jewish communities more and more became the popular stance among the, uh, the uh, religious Judaisms of Paul's day. Indeed, it came to a head 
by the uh, second and third centuries when we had the full-blown split between the synagogue and the followers after the way. And this was because, not chiefly because the followers after the way were believing in faith, they were maintaining their faith in Yeshua. That was part of it. But primarily because, I believe, the followers after the way were increasingly um, accepting Gentiles within their congregations, as they should be, as genuine bona fide sons of Abraham, right, Gentile members of Israel. And this cut across the centuries-old teachings that Israel was a Jewish-only social group, that Jewish-only Israel was um, privy and privileged to uh, covenant membership and had the rights and privileges of of upholding Torah, of maintaining Torah observance, of claiming Torah promises as their own. And uh, it was this, this Jewish nationalism that was blinding them to the truth of the inclusion of the Gentiles. It was the mystery of the gospel that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapters 3 through 5 again, where it's the inclusion of Gentiles as Gentiles in Israel, right? That's the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back if the Judaisms of Paul's day, to allow the Gentiles as Gentiles into the covenant ranks. And so the Gentiles of Paul's day had a really tough position. They were uh, forbidden from becoming Jewish, according to Paul's letters, and they were forbidden from returning to their pagan roots, according to Paul's letters. So where does that leave them? They le left them in no man's land, basically. And that's the point I'm trying to um, reiterate, is that um, the returning to days and months and seasons and years that we read about in verse 10, if it's not a return to Judaism because they didn't come from Judaism, well, then the returning is probably a pressure to return to the paganism that they came from. In other words, we have to remember that the Gentile uh, Christians were being forced, they were com being compelled to turn to Judaism. They weren't being... Uh, they weren't really being nicely invited, if you, if you understand what I mean. It wasn't like the Jewish leaders of the day were saying, Hey, guess what, you Gentile Christians? If you think it's nice, and you think it's a, if, it, if you think it's a good idea, if you've discussed it amongst yourselves, and you think it fits with your lifestyle, do you think you could take on circumcision, snip, snip, and then begin to take on the Torah lifestyle so that you can be just like us, genuine covenant members? If you think it's something that's, that's, that's really... Uh, uh, um, a lofty thing to do. You think it's something that that fits with your lifestyle? You, we, you know, if, if it's if it's something that that is okay with you, you know, do you think you could come over to our side? It wasn't really that at all. It was really that there was this social pressure to conform to the Jewish lifestyle as a Gentile. Uh, this pressure to convert. It was the um, it was the uh, uh, what do we call it? It was the forced um, pressure that. Peter was trying to um, uh, compel, remember we used this word anankadzo uh, earlier in when we were looking at uh, Galatians chapter 2, round verse 14, 15, 16. Um, Peter was forcing the Gentiles to, to, to take on a Jewish lifestyle. He was compelling them to live as Jews. And how was he doing that? He was doing it by ostracization, by by um, alienation. He was compelling the Gentiles to live as Jews by breaking fellowship with the Gentiles when he wasn't with them. When he wasn't with them, he, he pretended as if he 
never really ate with the Gentiles. When the Jewish people showed up, when the, when the religious Jews showed up, he jumped ship and said, oh no, I, I wouldn't eat with Gentiles. Are you, are you kidding? They're, they're, they're Gentiles. I don't eat with them. But when he was with the Gentiles, he was like, oh, hey, yeah, let's eat together. Let's have table fellowship. So the idea of, of this alienation was being carried out in the book of Galatians. And Paul was recognizing that basically it was the same tactic that the influencers were trying to do as well. And if we look at uh, Galatians chapter 4 down at verse um, uh, uh, verse 17, Paul says, They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. What does he mean there? They make much of you. Well, who's the they? I think it's easy to understand that the they are the enemies of the gospel here, the Judaizers, the the influencers. They make much of you, you Gentile believers. They make much of you. These Judaizers are making much of you Gentile believers, but for no good purpose, right? They're they're, and how are they doing it for no good purpose? In other words, they don't even have your best interests at heart. They're trying to compel you to become circumcised, to become legally recognized Jews, but they're not even doing it out of true motives. They have no good purpose. Later on in the book of Galatians, I think it's either chapter 5 or 6, we're going to see that um, they're trying to compel you to become circumcised, but they themselves don't even keep the Torah. And Paul says here in verse 17 of Galatians, they want to shut you out. Shut you out? They, these Gentile, I'm sorry, these Judaizers, these influencers, they want to shut you out of their own communities. Now, that sounds kind of strange. If they're trying, if these influencers are trying to bring the Gentiles in via circumcision, what does Paul mean they're actually trying to shut them out? Well, I think it's this strong arm tactic that they're trying to use again. They're trying to say, look, if you, they, this is the message of the influencers, so listen to me for a moment. These influencers are saying basically to the Gentile Christians, Look, if you want to be part of us, you got to go all the way. It's either all or nothing. And the all is the circumcision of the flesh. And the nothing is you can't even be, you can't even eat with us. You can't be part of our community. You, the, the, the nothing is the shutting out part. That's what Paul means when he says they want to shut you out. Meaning, if you don't undergo the proselyte conversion ceremony like they are compelling you to do, then you can't even be part of their communities. You can't even uh, uh, consider yourself part of the blessed. You can't consider yourself part of the um, covenant community that they are espousing to. And so they want to shut you out in an effort to force you to say, please let us in, please let us in. We don't want to be shut out. We want to part, be part of the blessed. We want to be part of the those who are genuine covenant members. Please let us in. How can we get in? Well, how you can get in is by becoming a Jew. So they want to shut you out that, that, that you make, make much of them by, by them, uh, elevating the exclusiveness of their group, right? Of their members only club. In essence, it would cause their social group to rise in importance, supposedly. It would cause them to be, to seem, to be, to be accounted as, uh, the, 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 the Joneses. Right, the ones that everyone wants to be like, the the people that you want to uh, make much of. That's why Paul says that you may make much of them. Right, you may, you would look at them as the exclusive, those who are part of an exclusive club that we want to be part of, the Millionaires Club, 
right? The, the, the club that you can't get in unless you're a millionaire, but it's the club that everyone wants to be a part of. Everyone that doesn't have a million dollars wants to be a part of. You understand what I'm saying? So this is the group that Paul is is saying that this is a dangerous group that you're really trying to get into because, number one, it's going to turn your allegiance from Yeshua over to, it's going to, it's going to point your faith in the wrong direction. It's going to point you towards a faith called ethnicity and a faith called covenantal nomism or works of the law. In other words, it's going to cause you to think that you get in, that is become saved by becoming Jewish, and stay in, that is maintain your salvation by conformity to the halakha that, of whatever group that you're joining, right? In other words, the works of the law is is the short list for whatever group that you're joining. So you take on a Torah-observant lifestyle once you become a Jew, and that Torah-observant lifestyle includes forsaking anything Gentile. So that's one one side that Paul's going to say, please don't go down that path. In fact, I warn you, don't go down that path. But the other path that Paul's going to warn them against is a returning back to the weak and beggarly elements, a turning back to days and months and seasons of years of the emperors, a turning back to their Greco-Roman lifestyle where the Gentiles would be thinking, well, hey, look, if we can't be Jews, then let's just go back to becoming stone-cold pagans again. And why would they seek to do that? Why would they seek to turn back that way? Well, part of it, I believe, has to do with this idea of persecution all over again. You have to remember, and I'll kind of close with this, the persecution for the Gentile Christians came from both sides. The Jewish people would, in a sense, levy a persecution against Gentiles who did not undergo the proselyte conversion ceremony. The persecution came in the form of the isolation, in this, in the form of the ostracization. Ostracization. Am I saying that right? Ostracize, right? To, 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 to um, look at a group as less than. To, to do what Peter was doing to the Gentiles when the men from James showed up. That's the, the persecution that Peter was leveling against the Gentiles as Christians. He was saying, "Look, you guys are less than because you're not Jews." He was demonstrating that with his lifestyle. So that was a, a form of persecution that the Jewish communities were demonstrating against the Gentile Christians who were saying that they were monotheistic but yet had not undergone the full-blown conversion to Jewish uh ethnicity. So there was a persecution from the Jewish perspective. But to any Gentile who did not forsake his um for any gentile who who I'm sorry for any gentile who did go all the way and forsake his uh allegiance to the emperor his allegiance to pagan rome his allegiance to the days months and seasons and years that rome observed his allegiance to the saturnalia to to all of the idolatry and greco-roman pageantry and things like that uh to any a Gentile Christian who did, in fact, forsake that and begin to walk down a monotheistic path towards the one and true living God, well, then he also faced a measure of persecution from the Roman side of the camp, from the Greco-Roman side of society. What? You're not keeping the festivals anymore as a good Roman citizen? What? You don't attend emperor worship anymore? What? You're not keeping... Um, uh, all of the, the days and months and seasons and years that we Romans have been keeping uh, our entire lives? What? You're not bowing down to the idols like you used to? What? You're not um, uh, eating in the uh, pagan marketplace where all of the meat that was offered up to idols is now being served, all the juiciest cuts? What? You're not, you're, you're not doing any of that anymore because some crazy Jewish 
a Christian fanatic named Paul told you in his letters that you shouldn't be doing those things anymore? What's the matter with you? Have you forsaken all the gods of your ancestors? This would be the persecution coming from the Roman side of the house. You understand what I mean? So we have persecution from both sides. And so these Gentile Christians are really between a rock and a hard place. And I can see how that they would be tempted to either, if, if Paul doesn't want them to go towards the direction of conversion, and he doesn't want them to go in the direction of uh, uh, pagan Roman paganism all over again either, what direction do they have? Well, the only direction they can go is to continue on in the faith that brought them to where they are, and that is the faith of Messiah, the faith that once delivered, that was uh, once spoken of uh, to the saints, uh, the faith that is spoken of in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 with all of the the, 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 the heroes of faith, uh, the faith that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are spoken of in, in the Torah, uh, the faith that Father Abraham demonstrated, uh, the faith that Paul uh, uh, demonstrates over and over again to them. And this is the faith that is anchored in Messiah, the faith that is anchored in in the promises that were given to the fathers, the, the faith that is uh, um, described by the pages of the Torah. And it's not a faith that requires you to leave your ethnic status as a Gentile. It's simply a faith that requires you to place your uh, uh, trust and your um, uh, your obedience in Messiah himself. And that's the faith that Paul is going to have them uh, continue down. Don't tor- turn towards the error of conversion and don't tor- turn back to the error of paganism either. Don't observe days and months and seasons and years that you used to observe when you were a pagan Gentile. Don't go in that direction. So I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. All right, and then with that, let me just take five minutes real quick to give you a little teaser. In Galatians 4.21, Paul says, Tell me you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? I've decided I'm not going to read my commentary here. I'm just going to tell you that Paul is going to now again turn towards his carefully reasoned argument against conversion by using the examples from the Torah himself. And he's going to turn once again to the father of the faith of their day, which is Abraham. And Abraham is such a great model for us to continue to study as Jews and Gentiles because, because... Not only is Abraham the father of the circumcised, but he's the father of the uncircumcised. And that makes him the perfect example for those of us who are Jew and Gentile to, to uh, center our uh, uh, model of faith after, to remind ourselves that here's a man who didn't waver in his faith in God, who, who looked forward to the promises of, of, the, uh, of, of the offspring a blessing of offspring that God had given to him so long ago, Genesis chapter 12, and that God would make him a great people. And that this is a man who whose faith was birthed when he was a Gentile and yet still undertook the covenantal sign of circumcision as a sign not of becoming a Jew, but as a sign of becoming obedient to the covenant that God was making with him as a faithful Gentile. Did I just blow your mind there? Okay, we'll talk about that next week where we talk about, um, and I'll get into my commentary there where he talks about you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? We'll talk about that next week, okay? But for now, let's uh, close down the commentary and we'll pick up next week. We'll start in verse 21 here with about what does Paul mean about being under the law? Do you not listen to the law? We'll talk about that next week. Let's close in prayer. 
Abba, I bless your name and I thank you for the opportunity to share with the students once again the truths that are so relevant for us to, uh, today in the book of Galatians. The truths that are relevant that we need not, we as Gentiles, we need not succumb to any man-made conversion policies, even though we don't really have those going on today. By and large, the Jewish people today are not pushing for conversion anymore. Uh, thankfully, they've somewhat abandoned this this uh, program of forced conversion for Gentiles seeking to be called righteous in the communities. Uh, for the most part, the, gen the, 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 the uh, Jewish communities have uh, kind of just abandoned and given up on the Gentiles and said, oh, well, you guys are just going to go your own way. You're going to believe in Jesus. You're going to call yourselves Christians. Just fine. Go that way. And they don't really force uh, this idea of, of uh, Jewish-only Israel on them anymore, on Gentiles anymore. But... We do know, Lord, that if you, uh, if if Gentiles were to say have a well-meaning dialogue with your average unsaved rabbi, they are going to find that J that Jews still believe that the Torah is a Jewish-only document, and that many Jewish people still believe, by and large, that Israel is the only righteous people among the only truly righteous group among people groups of the earth, and that uh, uh, that the covenants that God spells out in the Torah are really only for Jews only. They're, they're still primarily for Jews only. Particularly, this impacts us as Gentiles wishing to embrace the Torah because we hear it so often that the Torah is for Jews only, the Torah is for Jews only. And we hear this from unbelieving Jews, and we hear this from Gentile Christians who tell us the Torah is for Jews only. Stop trying to become Jewish. Don't try to do all that stuff. And they look to the book of Galatians uh, to prove to us that you don't have to keep Torah to become saved. And Lord, we want to study the book of Galatians in its proper context. So help us to begin to uh, have a better reasoned argument uh, for what Paul is trying to teach us in this book. Help us to continue to press into the words because we as Jews and Gentiles and Messiah who are returning to a Hebraic lifestyle, who look forward to the fall festivals that are right around the corner, right, right uh, just within the next few weeks to come, we look forward to continuing our loyalty to the covenant. Lord, we don't see keeping Torah as a means to becoming saved. We don't keep, we don't see keeping Torah as a way of making us righteous. Rather, we keep Torah because it is an expression of our loyalty to you as our one and only true God. We see it as a demonstration of our modeling after the lifestyle that Yeshua himself modeled. He himself was a perfectly Torah observant man. And we as Jews and Gentiles in Messiah want to imitate the Messiah. In fact, we also went and imitate Paul, who not only demonstrated that he was Torah observant, but also taught us to imitate him as he imitated Messiah. That's in fact what he said in his letters. Imitate me as I imitate Messiah. And Lord, I can't help but but remind myself that you were Torah observant. Paul was Torah observant. So if Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Messiah, this means I have the light, I have the, the permission to be Torah observant as well, even if I'm Gentile. So help us not to misunderstand the book of Galatians, but help us to understand it within its proper context. And we'll be careful, Lord, to give the praise and the glory. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. 
to the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com. <laughs>